I consider myself a word guy. It doesn't mean that I always use the right words. Um, it just means that I like to ponder words. I like to think about them. That's why I like um, the original language of the, of the Bible. It just causes me to slow down and think about every single word. And uh, I was pondering a prefix recently. The prefix dis, D-I-S. Dis in front of a word. Um, it changes the meaning of the word dramatically. Dis in front of a word actually flips the word. It makes it to be the opposite of whatever that root meaning is. It deprives the root word of its quality. Dis, the prefix dis, it actually causes the absence of what the root of that word means. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, disability. It is depriving someone of an ability or there is a, a deprivation of an ability. Uh, take disbelief. It is the opposite or the uh, absence of belief. We're in this series entitled Courageous and um, it means to have courage. Now if you put D-I-S in front of the word courage, you have discourage. It's the opposite of courage. Um, it, is, it deprives the root courage of its quality. I think we've all been there. I think we've all experienced what it means to have discouragement. William Ward, I think, came up with a great definition of what discouragement means. Look at this definition. He says, discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and a distrust of the future. If you let that sink in, I think it, it hits the nail on the head of what discouragement is all about. And discouragement comes about for a number of different reasons. Um, some of the main reasons why we are, uh, discouragement is brought on to us is fear. Um, we can actually fear something and it causes us to be discouraged. Like, like say somebody's uh, in class and they've got a, a presentation that they have to give in front of their classmates and um, they just know, oh man, if I've got to talk in front of my class, I, I know I'm going to bomb. I know they're going to laugh at me. I, I know I'm not going to get a good grade. And that fear of public speaking causes them to become, well, discouraged. I, I think failure can actually bring about discouragement. You know, um, someone thinks, oh man, I, I, I blew it. I totally blew it. I totally messed up. And I don't know if I can bounce back. I don't know if I can make up for it. I don't, I don't know if I can, you know, if this is going to work uh, anymore. Uh, and, and that sense of failure can cause us to feel discouragement. Uh, disappointment. Uh, disappointment can certainly bring about discouragement. Um, you know, uh, we can just, you know, we thought we were heading in such a, a great direction. Things were going great. And then, uh, the big letdown. You know? I mean, what, like, what happened? That totally disappointed can lead to discouragement. Well, as we continue in our series through Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 11, uh, we come to a chapter in the book of Joshua where uh, right after the nation of Israel had such a sense of 
discouragement. I mean, it just, it, it, chapter 7 of Joshua, it was like, uh, it was just a bad, you know, a bad chapter for the nation of Israel. But then chapter 8 is where we're at today. And in chapter 8, God turns this discouragement, this sense of being so discouraged, into encouragement. Now, now the prefix en, it means to put into. It's to put courage back into them. And, and we will see this morning how we can be encouraged by God and His truth as we continue on. So let me just set it up. Um, last week, chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, uh, the nation of Israel uh, did battle against the Amorites who were held up in the city of Ai. And uh, what happened was they went, they went to fight, and uh, they were routed. I mean, they were failing. It was, it was not good. As they were running away from the city of Ai, from the Amorites, the Amorites just literally chased them and killed 36 of their soldiers. And it was really bad. Come to find out, it's because of the disobedience of the Israelites that this happened. Matter of fact, it's because of one guy in particular, the betrayal of this guy named Akan. And it was just a bad day for the Israelites. It was terrible. I mean, they were dissatisfied with their past. You know, that battle, it took the wind out of them. It, it just caused them to go, I, I just, you know, just kind of felt really bad about it. And they were, had a distaste for their present. I mean, to think that they're going to go back and fight the Amorites in the city of Ai again, they just did not want to do that. And they did have a distrust for their future because they were convinced, given their past, that the Amorites could beat them again, that they could suffer loss again. And so, listen to what God says to them as we begin Joshua chapter 8. If you have a Bible handy, you can turn to Joshua chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible handy, I'll have the scriptures right up here on the screen for us. So Joshua chapter 8, in verse 1, listen to what God says. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into, your, into the hand of, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So the Lord speaks to Joshua, and Joshua listens to the Lord. I think this is a good point for us. To turn discouragement into courage, we must listen to the Lord. Sometimes we can be so down, so out, you know, so sad, and yet if we turn our ears to the Lord, I think he can bring courage into our lives. So we have to listen to him. Did you notice the words that, um, that the Lord spoke to Joshua? These are very important words. Look at the beginning of verse 8 again. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Those are very important words because those were like words that caused Joshua to go, ah, oh, boy, I need to hear that again. You ever hear words like it's, oh man, am I glad I hear that. I mean, I needed to hear that again. That's what Joshua was experiencing here. Because you can go all the way back when Moses was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt and they just begin their wandering in the wilderness for these 40 years. And, and Moses says, this is what God tells us as, as his people, now that we're out of our slavery, now that we're uh, following after him. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, right at the very beginning of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and uh, beginning at verse 19, it says this, Moses is speaking, he says, Then we set out for Horeb, 
and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, same Amorites that are held up in, in the city of Ai, just as the Lord our God had commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give to us, uh, to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Now listen to these words. Do not fear or be dismayed. So they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses is about ready to die, and he's ready to hand over his baton to Joshua to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And if we jump ahead 40 years back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, listen to these words out of Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning at verse 7. It says, Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has, has sworn to, the, uh, to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Now listen to these words. Do not fear or be dismayed. All those words that Joshua heard again. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then when Joshua finally takes over as the leader of the nation of Israel, Moses actually died and now he's just beginning to do the leadership of Israel. If you jump over to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 1, this is now the Lord himself speaking to Joshua. And notice in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, the Lord says to Joshua these words. He says, I have, not, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed or do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's word. God's word was like salve on Joshua's wounded heart. On Joshua's discouraged heart. He needed to hear from the Lord and the Lord spoke to him again. If you're feeling discouraged this morning, maybe you've come this morning and you've thought, boy, I need something, Lord. Help me somewhere, somehow. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Bible says, God says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. God calls us to be strong and courageous in Him. The Bible says God loves you. And He loves you unconditionally. Listen to the words of the Lord. You know, to be dismayed means to be deprived of courage. With all those voices out there that can tear us down. <laughs> with all those things that can knock us, our feet out from underneath us. With all the situations that we find ourselves in that we might even feel stuck in. They can suck the courage out of us. God says, I've got you. God says, I've got you. That I'm not done with you yet. Do not fear or be dismayed. I've got a future for you, the Lord says. We want to turn our discouragement into courage. We need to listen to the Lord. The second way in which we can turn our discouragement into courage is we've got to get back in the game. <laughs> got to get back in the game. I think sometimes when we're discouraged, we can kind of back off, you know, and kind of get back into ourselves. God calls us to get back in the game. 
Have you ever heard of a guy named Roy Regals? Actually, he was known as Roy Wrong Way Regals. You heard about him? You got to go back to the 1929 Rose Bowl, actually. 1929 Rose Bowl, 90 years ago uh, this year. And, um, and uh, uh, Roy was playing for the University of California, Berkeley. And they were playing against Georgia Tech in that Rose Bowl. And uh, what happened was that Roy made a royal mistake. Now, instead of me telling you about the mistake he made, there's actually an audio recording of an re- of a interview with Roy a number of years ago where he kind of explained what went down. Watch this, or listen to this. We just changed goals. Why, uh, Georgia Tech made a wide end run to the left, and our captain, Irv Phillips, tackled him. The ball squirted out a stump of his hand, and I picked it up and started toward my own goal. In eluding tacklers, why I uh, became confused and turned and ran the other way, uh, down the other end of the field, and was chased by my teammate and all the Georgia Tech players. Uh, on the way down, why I could hear my teammate Benny Lom uh, hollering at me to stop. I was going the wrong way, and I thought he was completely off his <laughs> rocker. <laughs> and uh, I slowed down, and he grabbed me by the shirt and tried to turn me around. And just about that time, I was hit by the whole Georgia Tech team, and I landed about two feet from the goal line. If I could have dug a hole in that turf, I'd have crawled in and covered myself up and not appeared again. Roy, wrong way, Regals. You know, that happened in the first half of the game. And uh, after that first half, the University of California, Berkeley, came into the locker room, and uh, they're all sitting there, the whole team's sitting there, kind of quiet. Roy actually went off into the corner, put a towel over his head, and sat down and started crying like a baby, actually. (laughs) Coach Nibs Price, the head coach of California, University of California, came into the locker room and kind of paced in front of his players. Didn't say anything. I imagine he didn't know what to say with Roy sitting there crying. A little while later, the timekeeper came in and said, three minutes, three minutes till playing time. Coach Price decided he had to say something. He said, well, men, the same people, the same men who played in the first half are going to start in the second half. Now let's get out there. And all the team got up and headed out to the field again. Everyone but... Roy Regals. Roy Regals didn't get up. Coach Price went over to him and said, Roy, did you hear me? Get on out there. As Roy was crying, Coach Price got down, sat down next to him. He said, Roy, the same men that played the first half need to get out there and play the second half. Roy said to him, but coach, I can't do it, coach. I mean, I've ruined you. I, I, I've, ruined, I've ruined the University of California. I, I've, I've ruined myself. I can't imagine going out and facing that crowd after what I've done. There's no way. 
Coach Price stood up, put his hand on his shoulder, and said, Roy, the game's not over yet. You get out there and you play the second half. And he helped him up. And Roy went out. And if you were to ask those Georgia Tech players, they'd say, we never seen a man play football like we saw Roy Regals play football in that second half. You know what Roy did? He got back in the game. And that's exactly what Joshua did. He was feeling defeated. He made a royal mistake. The nation of Israel made a royal mistake. But Joshua got back in the game. Back in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 3. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. Now, by the way, if you go back to chapter 4 and verse 13, you realize there's actually 40,000 valiant warriors ready for war. And here he's taken 30,000 of those guys, and it says in verse 40, He commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. By the way, I think the, those who were with him would be the other 10,000 of the 40,000 soldiers. They'll approach the city, and when, we, and when they come to meet us at the first, we will flee before them. They will come out after us. That's all the Amorite soldiers and I. They'll come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they're fleeing before us as at the first. Which, by the way, is referring back to chapter 7. Back in chapter 7, there wasn't 10,000 soldiers that went there. There were 3,000 soldiers that went there. And they were the ones that were routed. And when the Amorites chased after them, and so they're like, they're going to chase after us again. So we'll flee before them. In verse 7, And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Joshua got himself and the nation of Israel back in the game. Back in the game. He did it through his incredible military genius and strategy. Here's how it's laid out. They're to hide out those 30,000 troops around the city of Ai. Let me show you a picture of Ai here, um, if my pointer works, yep. So here's Jericho, city of Ai is right here. Now he said, if you read chapter 8, and we're not going to take time to read every verse, but of those 30,000, he wanted 5,000 to hide out on the west side of Ai, because Bethel is here, and uh, we don't want too many people hiding out where they can be seen. But then the other 25,000 of you, you're to hide out in the hill country to the north, way up here. And so he says, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our 10,000 troops from, from Jericho, which we just conquered, and we're going to move in from the east. And when they come out to get us, we're going to retreat. And when we retreat, then you 30,000, I'll, I'll give you the signal, and you guys take the city of Ai. You ambush it, you take it, and, you, and we'll win the victory. Joshua and the nation of Israel did exactly that. They were back in the game to turn discouragement into courage. You and I have to get back in the game. And 
We need to do it by being who God made you and I to be. We got to do it by who God made us to be. It's as if God was saying to Joshua, Joshua, I realize that Israel ran the wrong way in chapter 7. Wrong way, Israel. (laughs) But now is your chance to run the right way. Now is your chance to play the second half. The game's not over yet. Joshua, you are a military genius. I made you that way. And you are a great leader. I've also made you that way. Now, be who I made you to be. And Joshua steps up and he does it. Found something out about myself a couple years ago. Never knew it about myself prior to like two years ago. Um, Jill and my two youngest daughters, Karen, Bethany, and I, we, we did something. We, we actually took the DNA test from Ancestry.com. Have you, any of you ever done this? It's pretty amazing. You know, you get sort of your genetic makeup. And uh, I learned something about myself that I literally never knew that I was. Uh, I actually thought when people say, well, you know, what's your, you know, What's your nationality? What's your background? Well, I'm German. I'm German. That's kind of how I always answered it. But I'm actually not very much German. Uh, The breakdown of my genetic makeup is this. Look at this. German comes in third at 16%. The biggest part of me is Scandinavian, Norwegian, Swedish, who knows. But the one that I really want you to zoom in on is the 22 percenter. I never knew I was Irish. I got to tell you, St. Patrick's Day has a whole new meaning for me. Yes, hey, all right, you know, that's what I say, top of the morning to you. I kind of want to talk Irish the rest of the time. But I won't, because I can't. But hey, you know, that's me. You're different. You do that, you'll be totally different than me. But I mean, that's, I mean, I'm a mutt. I realize it, but I got Irish in me. God made me. God made you. And there's no one else like me. And there's no one else like you. And he made us unique for a specific purpose. That we might serve him. That we might be used by him. That that we might, you know, as Ephesians 3.20 says, that we might do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think as we follow after him. Now I realize that maybe we've done something wrong along the way. <laughs> maybe we could put wrong way in front of our name, you know, wrong way Jeremy or wrong way Michael or, you know, you name it, wrong way. Put, in, put, put wrong way in front of our name. But the reality is God is a God of grace, which means he's a God of second chances. Which means, okay, well, you might have blown it. I, I, know, you know, I know you've blown it. I, I realize. This is what God would say. I realize you failed. That's, I, I understand that. But I want you back in the game. And I made you specifically you so that I could put you back in the game. There's still a whole second half to be played. Now get up and get out there. <laughs> to turn discouragement into courage, you and I, we we got to get back in the game. we got to remove the dis from discourage and put that N in front. Encourage one another. So everything goes as planned for, for Joshua and the nation of Israel. They do just what they said. The 30,000 are hiding out in ambush. And Joshua and the 10,000 come from the east and they, 
They come up to Ai, and sure enough, the king of Ai, hook, line, and sinker, he takes the bait. He gets all of his soldiers together, and they chase them. They come out of the city. They chase the, 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 the 10,000 soldiers, and they run off toward the wilderness. And as soon as they're out of the city, the 30,000 ambush the city. And as they ambush the city, they totally take it, and they burn the place. And as soon as there's smoke rising, the, the Amorite soldiers are out there, and they see, oh, oh, this is not good. Um, our whole city is on fire, and uh, now, now what do we do? And uh, the, after they put the city on fire, the whole army comes out this way, and, and the Israelites turn back on the Amorites, and it says that there were 12,000 of them that died that day. And the king of Ai is captured. And uh, Joshua slays him and then Joshua goes back in and not just setting the place on fire like totally annihilating the city of Ai and burn it completely to the ground that was the thing that they were to do um, archaeologists have done some digging uh, of the city of Ai and uh, back in 2015 they had an amazing discovery. I want you to watch this video of this archaeologist and what they discovered. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Stripling. It's June 12, 2015. It's the final day of our excavation at Kerbin el Makader. I'm standing in a square where we've been exposing a large section of the Bronze Age wall. This area has been uh, supervised by Dr. Bryant Wood. They've just come down on an amazing area. We have a heavy layer of ash just above bedrock and embedded with this we have pieces of late Bronze Age pottery even embedded among the bedrock. Now the reason this is of such great interest to us is because when we read the biblical account in Joshua 8, we see that the city of Ai, which is what we believe this is, was destroyed in a fiery conflagration in about 1406 at the end of the late bronze period, late bronze one period. There are three cities that were burned by the Israelites, Jericho, Hatzor, and Ai. When we go to Hatzor, we can see evidence of burn and destruction. At Jericho, we see the same. When we come down on bedrock here, we have fused calcined stone, a heavy layer of ash embedded with this late Bronze Age pottery. The lesson that we're drawing from this is that we should take the Bible as a serious historical text because it's being confirmed by the archaeology. Pretty amazing, huh? The Bible's true. And archaeology just supports it here. It's exactly as Joshua 8 says. Well, once Joshua and his army took the land, Joshua did something way out of character. <laughs> I mean, for the military strategist that he was, he did something that just goes totally against any military strategy whatsoever. Um, look at the first thing that he does after this battle is over. Back in Joshua chapter 8, jump down to verse 30. It says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, and the God, Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. This is straight out of the instructions of Deuteronomy 27. 
Verse 32, he wrote on it, on the stones, a copy of the law of Moses. I think actually that's probably the Ten Commandments that he wrote on it, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All Israel with the elders and the officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. By the way, the ark of the covenant of the Lord is, represents the presence of God in the midst of the nation of Israel. Then it says, half of them, half of the nation of Israel, stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them, the other half of Israel, in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. This is out of, again, Deuteronomy 27 and Deuteronomy 28. We don't have time to turn there. But let me show you. They, they go to Mount Ebal and they go to Mount Gerizim. Let me show you where that is in location related to I. Here's I down here. Here is Mount Gerizim and Ebal. This is a 30-mile trek north. So they take the city of Ai, and the first thing they do is they head north to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Why don't you zoom in on that? You'll notice that on Mount, Mount Gerizim is to the south, and Mount Ebal is to the north, and there's this valley between them. Um, and, and they set up the, the altar in the middle of it. They set up the, the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, it goes completely contrary to what you would do if you were a military guy. If you're a military guy, you don't all of a sudden take a city and then just leave. You take a city and you fortify it. You take a city and you make sure, okay, we've got this ground. Now we're going to take this and then we're going to move to the next ground, right? Matter of fact, my friend Paul Lutz, he uh, served in the military. I asked him, is that true? I mean, is that what you do? He says, absolutely. Once you take ground... What you do is you make sure that it's all secure so that in case there's a counterattack, you can defend the ground that you've taken. And then you dig in and you build fortification. You dig in and you build a fortress. This is not, not what, what Joshua and Israelites do. What they do is they don't build a fortress, they build an altar. And I think to turn discouragement into courage, we need to set up altars and not fortresses. Let me explain what I mean. When we feel like we have some level of victory over the discouragement that we've faced in our life, we can tend to dig in. We can tend to get a bit stubborn. We, we can tend to put up protective walls. I mean, it's kind of logical that once, okay, we've been through that, we're feeling better about it, now let's just kind of build a bit of a fortress so that never happens again. Like, take for instance uh, a fictitious person, we'll call her uh, Cindy. Cindy's finally feeling like she has a sense of emotional health after, uh, after she's recovered from this broken relationship. Uh, and yet, Cindy has to be careful because she can put up protective walls because it really hurt this relationship being broken. She might say something inside of her heart. You know, I've been hurt, and I'm not going to let another person hurt me. <laughs> not like that. Uh -uh, I gave them my heart, and, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to let someone hurt me again. Fortress. I've got my fortress I've built. Or we'll call this next guy Jim. <laughs> Jim followed the advice of his friend. And it led to a total mess. He worked himself out of it, but in his mind he thought to himself, oh boy, <laughs> I'm doing it my way from here on out. I'm not going to listen anymore. Okay, I'll listen, you know. But I'll listen to advice like it's a grain of salt. <laughs> it's about all it's worth to me. 
Uh-uh. No, I'm not going to let people speak into my life. Fortress. Building a fortress. Maybe you, maybe me. Maybe you think, yeah, I went out on a limb, tried something new, and now, man, totally blew up in my face. You might think, you know what, I took that risk, and it was miserable. I'm not going down that path again. We build a fortress. Immovable self-protective position entrenched entrenching ourselves in this fortress but god calls us not to build fortresses he calls us to build altars you know that altar was 30 miles away from i and they went there not to protect the ground that they've gained They went there to worship God. They went there to give their hearts to God. They went there to realign themselves with God. They went there to turn their dissatisfaction with their past into saying, I know we're dissatisfied with it, but we're satisfied with you, God. They went to take their distaste for the present. We didn't want to do it. Man, we taste how good you are, God. They went to take their distrust for their future. Say, okay, God, it's, we don't know what it's, what's ahead, but we know we can trust you. We know we can trust you, God. They came to build an altar to say, God, we're renewing our faith in you. We're renewing our faith in You. If we're going to settle in this new land, we know that You're the one that's going to settle us. If we're going to advance and have victory, we know You're the one that's going to give us the victory. That altar is an act of surrender. Surrender again to the Lord. All along in this series, if you've been going with us, you know that I've shared testimony, stories of people who who uh, God has given them courage along the way. And uh, this morning, I want to share the story of Dawn. Actually, I want Dawn to share her own story because as I listen to her story, I'm like, man, she is spot on with this whole idea of I was discouraged, but God gave me courage. And, and she does it because she, she's willing to listen to the Lord. She sees that God gives her courage because she, she was out and she got back in the game. And you can just hear it in her story. She's still building an altar for the Lord in her life. Listen to Dawn's story. How does God give me courage? Well, I'm getting courage right now to do this video. But seriously, um, when I was 13, I lost a girlfriend. Um, She was 12 to brain cancer. And then when I was 18, I lost my mother to cancer. And I, I felt like I had so many unanswered prayers. So 
I was mad at God. So it took a lot of courage to allow him back into my life. And I, it's 40 years later now that my mom died and I think whenever there is a funeral or someone has lost someone, it takes me courage to be there for them because I feel the same pain and it's 40 years later. But I, I find courage and um, scripture gives me courage. Um, I do trust in the Lord with all my heart and I do not lean on my own understanding. It takes courage to keep loving because when you do lose them, um, I guess I just experienced all the pain of that. But because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and gave me eternal life, I have courage to just keep loving. I didn't know this, but I talked to Dawn after the first service. And that 12-year-old girlfriend, she said, I don't know if you know this, but today is actually her birthday. She said it was honoring to her that I got to share that story today. I didn't know that. We didn't know that. I think, once again, that's a God moment. When we can tell that the dis is being removed from discourage, when we can tell that we're gaining courage again, it's a time to build an altar in our heart. It's a time to renew our faith. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And He is good. I know in life we can be discouraged. I know life can be rough. It can be so hard for you and for me. But the next time, maybe even today, that you're feeling discouraged, It's a time to really trust. It's a time to really put our faith in the one who can be our rock. In the one who wants to lead us. In the one who wants us to follow him. The one who wants to remove Dis and put in N. <laughs> he wants to input courage into us. Let's make an altar of our hearts to Him and renew the fact that we believe in You, Lord. We're going to trust in You, Lord. You're so good. You, you sent Your Son to die for us. You secured our eternity through Your Son. Let this be a day of faith. Let this be our valley where we're building an altar to the Lord now. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for not leaving us alone. 
of being here with us even right now. And no doubt in this room there are some people who came this morning with a heavy heart. They came this morning maybe without a lot of energy toward you or toward life even. And I pray by your Spirit through Joshua's experience, through Joshua 8, that you would just help us to recommit to you that you would lead us, God. We put our faith in you. Carry us along. Give us the courage we need to face this day. Give us the boldness we need to face tomorrow. We surrender again to you, Lord. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name.